वेलकम टू सिंट टॉक टॉकर्स अराउंड द टेबल टूडे डिस्कस द मोडालिटीज ऑफ ट्रैफिक विल थिंक अबाउट वेहीकुलर सेल्युलर एंड अदर ट्रैफिक एंड ट्रांसपोर्टेशन सिस्टम्स यूजिंग कॉन्सेप्ट फ्रॉम बायोफिजिक्स ट्रांसपोर्टेशन एंड टाउन प्लानिंग फिलोसफी एंड मैथमेटिक्स वट आर द की कंस्ट्रेंट्स ऑफ ऑल ट्रांसपोर्टेशन सिस्टम्स Are there any similarities between cellular and vehicular traffic? Can one model traffic generally across domains? What should we build first, roads or cities? Are all roads made equal? How is traffic as a phenomenological or ethical space? Why should there be speed limits at all? And what is the very long-term future of stampedes, traffic jams, traffic rules? practical morality social compliance and road rage we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today professor gautam menon was a biophysicist in the institute of mathematical sciences in chennai professor pradeep kumar sarkar was the professor and head of the department of transport planning at the school of planning and architecture in new delhi and professor vijay tanka who teaches philosophy at st stevens in new delhi So Gautam why don't we set the ball rolling with you um in a somewhat unusual place and maybe go inside our bodies and inside bodies of living organisms and see whether traffic in general has any significance which may be beyond the superficial and um other cues ideas concepts buried in there that you think might be instructive to think about as one thinks about transportation in general and traffic in particular well a lot of biology is just moving things from place to place Yeah. For example, fish must swim. Uh, animals that predate on other animals must catch up with them. And along with these that are at a much larger scale, there's also traffic at the scale of a single cell, which is the smallest unit of life as we know it. Cells are hubs of ceaseless activity where you constantly move things from where they're made to where they're required, which can be sort of several microns of distance apart. And you mean even within cells? Even within cells, so it's not just within cells, but also at scales much larger, groups and aggregates of cells, sure. as well as full organisms as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most important lessons that we've learned from this sort of collective motion mm-hmm. is the ability to self-organize. Mm-hmm. and a simple example for that is anyone who's looked out in the evening at birds returning will have seen these you know very coordinated almost balletic moves of birds together yeah and it's not as though every bird is coordinating with every other bird in order to accomplish this there but the rules by which a bird sensitive only to its local environment can collectively transfer this information out to the full borders of the flock so there's some factor like behavior there so these these structures are very complicated they're very dynamic there and a lot of interest of physicists and biologists today mm. is really devoted to understanding how organisms can self organize so you see this in birds you see this in locusts you see this in ants how you can have very large collective behavior of these entities that i think is is a very important lesson that comes from biology and it's really an old lesson this is these are very deeply evolutionarily coded into the structure of how biological organisms behave and, and the self organization is it largely towards uh, solving for some transportation problems in many cases it is for example when ants sort of set up long lines in order to move food back mm-hmm. to, to 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 the ant colonies there is a way in which they lay down pheromones as they move across and other ants that follow in their path are sensitive to these pheromones so so you lay down little milestones wherever you go right. so that later organisms that follow in your path can figure out where you've been going and where there is food so there is a lot of signaling that happens mm-hmm. when birds move when birds fly together when they flock together for example there are very beautiful pictures of european starlings which in flocks of about 8000 to 10000 birds murmuration all of them the murmuration exactly right. very nice word of 
moving together in this very dynamic yet very fluid form mm. and there are many things we now know about these formations and flights that we didn't know earlier even 5 years ago mm. that tells us a little bit about what birds are sensitive to are they looking at the boundaries of the flock or just in their neighborhood and this informs really how we can make collective self organizing entities even if we were to make them out of robots maybe some day out of cars that are sensitive to each other's presence so these are all important lessons for traffic that really come from the biology and then extend towards spheres that are larger than than the purely biological that's interesting gautam and is is a bulk of this movement directed or can some of this movement be totally directionless as well so there seem to be different cases where if if birds or fish are not at very high densities mm-hmm. then they don't tend to be directed they sort of move independently of each other but as you increase the density the tendency towards order increases until finally they all pick out a common direction in which they move and then the question is are there is there a leader that sort of tells them all of them where to move and the answer is that you don't need a leader to generate this it's a collective response to the behavior of all the birds that happens at larger density and this is also seen in traffic where at low densities you have essentially free flowing motion but at larger densities you have much more coordinated motion which at still larger densities can get into jams and degenerate into structures that don't move at all for some period of time that's interesting so it's really a transition that is controlled by the density of the birds as they move along that's interesting i think that's a good note to maybe go to you professor sarkar um, how does this work and where does this threshold lie that uh, uh, gautam seems to be alluding to is this journey from being more or less directionless to call it chaotic call it whatever where does planning need to set set in um, are there are there theoretical thresholds are there practical thresholds how do you think about situations of this nature as uh, gautam has said you know when anything starts moving and from zero to practically when it keeps increasing we find the flow goes on and practically also density also increases mm-hmm. so we have been able to develop a relationship through the traffic signs that speed flow has a relationship speed density has a relationship and density speed also relationship this is a relationship with what because between each other so for example flow density flow density means it's like a parabolic shape mm-hmm. flow speed flows like a parabolic shape mm-hmm. so therefore and now that we are the scientists trying to establish what kind of relationship what kind of traffic you have and what kind of relationship does it exist so you will find practically this phenomena many researcher over a period of time have been uh, engaged in research and as a result of that uh, let me tell you the highway capacity manual in us fast what you call has uh, has come out in 1950 with a hypothesis of speed flow relationship ultimately leading into understanding the capacity of roads mm-hmm. of different types of road different types of intersection different types of transit systems for different uh, types of bicycle systems pedestrian flow so lot of theories has evolved over a such period as, of such as what so when you say speed densities um how does that link to the capacity of of a highway yeah, system yeah it's a very good questions you say that when you speed density mm-hmm. when you know when you when there is a high speed density is zero and practically when speed decreases density also increases you will find a sign of linear relationship yeah and if you look at that practically uh i'd just like to give you an examples with this theory of shock wave mm-hmm. uh suppose you if you have a, a, a sections and you allow the traffic to flow mm. suddenly you have taken a decision that i will obstruct some flows and i'll obstruct one lane so ultimately you three, reduce capacity in a segment of the lane yeah, yeah. right and finally you will see there is a shock wave is going to be uh, felt the vehicle coming onto the particular directions when you then how does it relate the relate is that change in uh, flow with respect to density will find the velocity mm. so mm. therefore as the density increases as com- density comes to jamming condition mm. you will find the flow is totally zero mm. so therefore at a one point of time it becomes a jamming conditions mm. Mm. and is that relationship linear you mentioned a while ago that it's parabolic no what i say speed uh, speed density is a parabolic right speed uh, flow is a parabolic right and speed density is a linear right uh, this has been more or less established and we have been able to see uh, even one of my students have been working in this area you must have seen that when 
that weaving takes place mm-hmm. you know practically in a, in, a, in a section when there is a secondary lane coming into the principal uh, section tributaries yeah, merging into the yeah, lane tributary merging into the uh, principal uh, sections right then you will find the capacity drops mm. because lot of interaction there is a friction also takes place in between mm. so and whatever the and thi- what what is the theoretical reason for that just there being more calls to be made more interactions because of interaction because because people are because when you are moving in one particular directions uh, you are going straight without any hindrance but whenever you are trying to change a lane from one lane to the another mm. then you look for a gap mm. and gap acceptance is one of the basic theory dictates mm. about the lane changing behavior mm. so as a result of that it causes a frictions Mm. so we have mm. seen practically the li- the linear relationship it also does not hold good when this kind of your weaving takes place mm. in a merging and a diverging section does some of this resonate with you gautam i mean are there other relationships with us similar or the capacity of our nerves and veins is no the relationship is very similar i mean for example one problem that i study is how you move little bags of material called vesicles from one part of the cell to the other mm-hmm. and this is important in these very long cells called nerve cells or neurons right which have a cell body and then a very long extension the the axon which terminates yeah. in the synapse and it's a connections of nerve cells to other nerve cells when the synapse of one nerve cell touches the, what's called the dendrites of the other cell right. that enables the transport of information for example in our brains so all of this stuff has to be transferred in these bags as i said they called vesicles from one point of the axon to another point of the axon and this is really a traffic problem because these the objects that do this transferring is something called a molecular motor that seems to walk essentially like a porter holding this bag is that a protein what is it that's a protein in fact sure. it's a sort of a, it's a complex of proteins mm-hmm. that walks in one direction so there are molecular motors that walk you know from from the cell body towards the synapse and there are other motor proteins that walk in the other direction mm. so, so can, they're specialized they're specialized and they walk on special tracks called microtubules right so this really is a traffic problem it's, you can think of these microtubules as lanes you can think of these motors is essentially vehicles that transporting and, things and across the world how special lanes. purpose are these microtubules the microtubules are fairly standard so they appear in all of our cells they contain micro- they form the architecture or they give the cell a certain stiffness but do the motors are they can be a bunch of different types of motors which can be specialized some motors tend to attach for longer time some motors are specific to certain types of cargo and some motors as i said they, the motors that are move in opposite directions but this is a prototypical traffic problem because you have stuff that is moving in both directions in fact it's more complicated than the normal traffic problem because you have interpenetrating lines of traffic but really it is discrete entities moving at some velocity along in in both directions so you they the can word jam velocity. up against each other they can mm. form traffic jams just as was described by professor sarkar and you know i mean we were talking about speed density a while ago so some of these things moving around within our bodies or in the brain do they move at more or less constant speeds or they how? move at more or less constant speeds and that's interesting Throughout because that's one way in which you characterize a particular motor you say what is mean speed at which it steps mm. and it needs motor needs food in order to move it, it takes it this food in the form of a molecule called ATP mm. and breaks it down into ADP and uses that energy in order to move mm. so you have these bunches of motors carrying cargo moving across each other holding each other up and the cell is a complicated place to be there are places where microtubules are broken off mm. so you can have motors that come to those edges and then can stop because they have no track it's so you break off a lane you you put you put a you you put a, a, a breaker on that lane and don't allow stuff to move further and there's lots of other junk and when you say more or less constant speeds it's throughout a lifetime through day and night or other it's more or less constant speeds so they don't seem to depend very much on the age of the organism these are remember these are single molecules essentially right, of course so they have this this their structures are predetermined what can happen is the nature of the clogging along these tracks can change for example some neurodegenerative diseases are associated with an increased clogging you have more cargo that is stuck together in fact alzheimers you can have tangles of proteins that are attached together and these really impede the transport and thereby that's what is a signal of the progressive loss of memory that we experience in alzheimer's disease it's a breakdown so of transport there would be more jamming of sorts there's more jamming of sorts so this this idea of jamming in cellular context is actually a general general idea that's interesting And what does what does a traffic jam mean to you, Vijay? To you as a philosopher, why is why is it interesting? Well, I s- suppose that um, if you look at the idea of motion itself, hmm. which is uh, you know I think the um, prime characteristic of life. Yeah. So, and from ancient times onwards, uh, philosophers have distinguished, you know, living from. non living on the basis of 
motion. So the animator, the soul, for instance, is supposed to be that which animates because naturally you see non-moving things. Uh, and as uh, Gautam says, that not only is there external motion, but there is also, as it were, internal processes of motion and change uh, which are going on. And in uh, I think in many of the Indian schools, uh, uh, the contrast between chal achal, that which moves and that which doesn't move, exhausts the universe of discourse. Right. So you have uh, uh, this idea that life is essentially motion. Movement. Movement mm. and also transition and change. Mm. And these metaphors, you know, uh, uh, involve us in uh, daily life. I mean, you have the idea of, you know, go with the flow. Yeah. So <laughs> wherever it's, you know, in the sense it's easy. If things are happening well, then they happen easily. There's no impediment. And all these words, uh, impediment, obstacle, uh, they translate uh, easily from the realms of traffic into the realms of uh, moral discourse, in the realms of psychology uh, and personal living and so on. And you can see actually that there is uh, there are sort of analogs of each other. And that is why I sometimes wonder, and I think this is a good place to ask this question, whether we can see traffic uh, as, say, modeled on the human body, the way in which, for instance, we organize uh, our uh, landscapes and uh, cities uh, is it modeled more or less on the way in which, say, the uh, circulatory system of the blood happens? Of course, it isn't because, you know, you have, say, arteries and veins which carry blood in different directions, as it were. And ideally, perhaps, all our roads should be one-way roads so that there is flow rather than... Uh, and maybe you could design a city without intersections. Are our blood vessels uh, unidirectional? It is coming back to the context in which uh, I was telling you about motors that are moving. Mm. We suspect that the reason you have this interpenetrating motion of stuff going both in one direction and in the other direction mm. is that this is an efficient solution from some points of view. Mm. That it so tends it, the in, what, in what context does that work? So the same vessel... Okay, so let me explain this a little bit. Please. So this bag, this vesicle that's being carried can mm. have not just one motor but several motors attached to it. Uh -huh. And some of them may be moving in the forward direction, some of them may be moving in the backward direction. These the are forward directed. The same vesicle can have motors. There's some a of tug whom of war are, of are moved. So there could be a tug of war certainly between different between motors that are attached, between oppositely directed motors that are attached to the same bag. Like mm. a train with two engines on like both Like a train ends. with two engines on but both. But it can't move in both directions simultaneously. So what happens is that you, you have one motor, the, the say, let's say the engine in front taking over and moving it forward for a while. But then, suppose it reaches a block of some sort. Suppose there is some then big... It light coming. Then it tends to reverse. Then it has to be able to reverse. Right. So the ability to reverse of a single vesicle we think is somewhat important. That's very that, fundamental. That's really fundamental to how you can have efficient transport. Otherwise, you would have thought that look, just pass everything along in one direction. But the cell still has to solve the problem of having stuff that you must move in both directions. But that is exception going, handling. That is exceptional. It turns out it is not so exceptional in the sort of densities that we use. In fact, this was our surprise when we began to look at the data on mm -hmm. how material is transported within axons. Mm -hmm. There turns out to be many places where transport is held up. Uh -huh. And this, it turns out that many people had been noticing this for the last 10 or 20 years in biological experiments on axons. Uh -huh. But the natural instinct was to study moving cargo as opposed to stuff that stalled wasn't moving. Cargo. Stalled cargo. As opposed to stuff that was stalled which sort of <laughs> seems boring and uninteresting. But now we think that stuff that is stalled, these vesicles that are stalled, actually have a very important role to play. That's because they regulate things that are moving. They can say they can signal you, go back, you're going to be blocked here. Or go forward, there's space here for you to move. And this is an unusual solution that doesn't turn up in normal traffic. It's hard to have a car that reverses and goes backward. It and gives, gives depth to... Uh, the Heraclitan notion of the way up is the way down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same road that uh, you can travel on in both directions. Yeah. And this causes problems, but as you can see, it also uh, suggests solutions for future problems. That's interesting. And what do you, is, is, is the whole concept of a road or traffic, what is, is, is road, it's an ethical space almost, there are decisions which are... Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's if the you realm look, of practical reason, in if many, you many look ways. at road, uh, the original sort of ancient sense of road was always a path of knowledge. Mm. I think this was before, you know, uh, sort of traffic. Before the road really, Congress. Uh, uh, before highways. <laughs> really, highways. Before people, people walk. 
<laughs> or, or they went on ships or something like that, you know. And civilization is, of course, connected with roads. One thinks of the Roman road. Right. Romans built roads. They transported armies. Right. Gandhi was highly suspicious of uh, uh, of uh, the transportation by the railways, for instance. He says that evil men can move fast uh, <laughs> on railways from one place to another. Mm. And, uh, you know, speed is uh, something that is to be feared rather than uh, embraced. So I think that there are deep uh, problems about understanding, uh, uh, you know, roads or paths. And motion itself, as I said earlier, was connected with life, but not necessarily in a positive kind of way because uh, life is variable, changing, and it's not stable. And uh, in fact, what you find both in ancient uh, uh, Greek and Indian philosophy, the idea of stability is valorized over motion and change. Mm. So you have, for instance, the the soul has to, or the meditator has to be sthir. Mm. Uh, Brahman is someone that is, Im or something that is immutable. Mm. Being itself is unchanging. Mm. And this kind of ideal of being stationary may in fact point to the future solution of our problems with traffic. The fewer po people that are moving, the better off we're likely to be. And I think earlier in the day, uh, Professor Sarkar was telling us that a large number of cars actually are in the world are idle at any given time. Or perhaps mm. it was you uh, yeah, who yeah, said this. Yeah, so yeah. maybe, you know, there is, we have to play between stasis and, uh, uh, and, and movement mm. uh, as a kind of dynamic in order to enable movement. Mm, mm. What is your uh, response, Professor Sarkar, to Vijay's poser of if there were to be a city traffic system, is it better off having more one-way roads as opposed to two-way roads? What's the theoretical answer to something like that? I know it depends a lot on the way the city is organized. I don't like to respond yes or no. Sure. Because I feel that depending on the interaction of activity, one has to decide it has got to be one-way or two-way roads. Mm -hmm. In case we find there is a flow from one point to the another mm. and which practically facilitate the movement faster than the, as compared to the two-way systems, we'll, we'll prefer a one-way systems. As you have seen, the city of New York. Mm. You'll find that the, the because of the grid iron pattern, mostly city failed that it, if you can organize the movement in a one-way pattern, where the movement becomes more faster. So for you, the solution variable is always speed. Speed is basically the, is an indicator of mobility, mm -hmm. because uh, because we in, in in our society always feel that there is going to be a comprehensive mobility. Mm -hmm. So nowadays, earlier there is a concept of comprehensive traffic and transportation plan. Now it's called is the comprehensive mobility plan. What do you mean by that? What it is means, comprehensive mobility? Uh, uh, for, for 20 years back, people used to think that we de develop a city basically for car-oriented car city, automobile-oriented city. What we have seen in U.S. and most, most European and Western countries, they have all built freeways and expressway. Now we have been thinking very seriously, rather than helping a car to move faster, we all people should move faster. Yeah. So that that's why we have to got to prepare a plan. Is that's going an to important be, distinction. <laughs> yeah. Now that's yeah. concept as we say the comprehensive mobility plan. Even as a transportation planner, I think that if we have to prepare a plan for Indian city, if you have to be sustainable, please think for a comprehensive mobility plan, inclusive plan, and compact plan. So that you you kind of bringing in the other modes as well, train, rail, obviously, uh, buses, it, it, yeah, cycles, yeah, obviously, because, pedestrians. Because now we have we have come to a direction of developing a multimodal transportation system. Because mm. speed, you cannot dictate speed by your own choice. Because there are different of traffic, different of users. They have different type of desire, different types of destination, different types of activity. So therefore, how do you do to how do you organize them? Then you have to bring them. A car, you have to bring them transit, you have to bring them bicycles and all modes of transport and you have to see the how best you could optimize the total transportation system in order to see the maximum mobility. That is the theory for a, any transportation planning studies. And for a, from a pure traffic physics perspective, how, how different is the multimodal traffic from the more monomodal sorts? You see, for, for example, if a small city, mm. uh, there is only, I feel that mostly people are elite class they fully depend on car. Mm. They have their choice of uh, the, having their travel by car only. That becomes a, a mono or a type of traffic. 
and then when a city grows and activity concentrates then you find that there is a different type of people they they do not have the affordability to use car mm-hmm. so therefore they go for other modes of transport they may use a bicycle somebody may use practically say a slow moving vehicles so as a city grows in, in your practical experience and from whatever the research has to say does the traffic become more multimodal or more obviously it has to be tendencies towards heterogeneity heterogeneity multimodal mm. now mm. there now the challenge is become the how best you integrate the multimodal transportation system mm. that is the challenge to the society because as you are unable to integrate that's why you find lot of cars and lot of congestions accidents are taking place every day and how is a road system fundamentally different for a multimodal traffic compared to monomodal because in the long run if it's a, a city road, to, road is a fixed facility yeah and practically it is a facilitated to for moving traffic yeah so therefore you should not take the roads as a transport road is a facilitator is a fixed facility right and transport different say land based transport has been based on the road based systems yeah so there the, therefore you have number of transportation system you have a urban rail you have a bicycles you have car you have even slow moving vehicles like uh, tonga yeah. so therefore this is basically predominantly seen in the land based systems yeah. now again you go go into the the, the uh, what you call uh, the, the the horizon of uh, transportation systems then we have different kinds of you, inland and what inland uh, transportation system then air transportation systems the ropeway what not ropeway But, yeah so cities use ropeways Yeah, because if you happen to be a mountainous city, if it's not flat, you need to flat. Then you have to think that what is going to be the how best you can go can ensure mobility. Then you have to think the ropeway. There would be no traffic jams when there are ropeways, right? At least up in the <laughs> air up there. If you go to, for example, if you go to Switzerland, <laughs> mm. go to Titlis, you'll find the ropeways. People enjoy there. <laughs> so therefore, you have nowadays. I still I came to know. I think it's in some. northeast uh, city in aizol mm. they are thinking seriously to develop the ropeway right in order to avoid the traffic congestion so there we have got to see what is the best transport mode available to overcome the congestion and ensure mobility that is the main so basic. as there's tendency towards heterogeneity clearly there needs to be some sort of an underlying tendency towards equality and whether you treat a bicycle in more or less the same way as a mercedes s class uh, <laughs> do you worry about that or yeah basically practically in a society we talk about equity mm. equality and i think that it is a very good to understand that what everybody should have a access to equity or or equality mm. when the real sense it doesn't happen mm. because you have different type of peoples living in a society So everybody has different desires and different types of affordability. Accordingly, they use their modes. That's why. So it's very difficult to have a that kind of concept to be play to be put in place in society as far as equal mode is concerned or equal system is concerned. There has got to be some bound to happen this kind of inequality. That's why you find the heterogeneity on the road system. Is there a philosophical problem there for you? I think there is a, a deep philosophical problem here, and I think there is really uh, what might be described as a conflict. between logic and ethics mm. <laughs> uh, so logic would suggest that say certain kinds of rational solutions mm. one would be that you simply deprive people of the right and in fact the supreme court recently has done it uh, or at least disincentivized uh, say mercedes you spoke of mercedes uh, uh, audis uh, porsches all of which are diesel cars over 2000 cc are now been banned in the sense you can't register a new vehicle of that kind in delhi Uh, and perhaps also in the ncr and also the phasing out of diesel vehicles over 10 years now th- these are uh, 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 problems of uh, so far as the freedom of individuals is concerned i mean if i buy a car why should the state be able to tell me that look after 15 years even if your car is not polluting you can't keep it i mean what is the uh, what rationality is there to that on the other hand especially the retrospective effect yeah retrospective yeah. effect you know you suddenly mm. bring in a law and say well now all cars over 15 years but in a sense i welcome that because i accept the fact that well my car may not be polluting mm. because i'm on the whole people with 15 year old cars may in fact be polluting and perhaps fewer cars means you know better road conditions and so on so i think that there is really a a, a problem with uh, 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 rational solutions 
uh, and ethical aspirations of people who, you know, if I have earned the money or inherited it, why shouldn't I be able to buy five cars yeah. so that I can drive every day, even if you ban uh, cars on, you know, every yeah. third day and so on and so forth. But I think that, you know, the road is now what we call the public sphere. Yeah. Uh, it's a place which is open to everybody. You mean it in the Habermasian sense? I mean it in the Habermasian sense. Mm. That it's a, and there are institutions which, uh, uh, you know, as it were, govern this public sphere. Mm. And the question is, how much freedom do we actually want people to have? So that's why mm. I think that... And so I the, think state, the state this, inevitably steps in there. Not only can it step in, but it can step in in a way in which it ought to to in fact step in and doesn't, it can be far more ruthless. Mm. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it could get away with that kind of ruthlessness than it could say in, uh, say the army could occupy uh, the the, <laughs> the the street corners and police, it could become a police, traffic police state. Mm. Uh, and probably uh, everyone would be happier for it and better off. But we don't do that. I don't know why. Yeah, for all practical purposes, almost all our towns and cities, the streets or the roads are the only public sphere. That's true. And they're very the badly managed. Mm. They're very badly managed, mm. which is why we have more deaths in traffic accidents than we've had, for instance, in uh, in terrorist attacks. Mm. Uh, but we pay far more attention to, you know, uh, lives lost there uh, and the problems with terrorism or something like that then to traffic accidents traffic accidents are not a big deal we sell alcohol on the on the highways you have uh, you know shops right next to the road advertising chilled beer <laughs> and 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 for you as if you think of it logically ethically philosophically the presence of the state in this public sphere of the road is that inevitable welcome desired tolerated where does that lie for you well it's a tricky question because in a sense you know, let me put it this way, that if you drive from, say, Washington to New York in the U.S., it's a very, very boring drive. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm. absolutely uh, impediment-free. It's very easy. You get from place A to place B. Mm. Now, you drive from Delhi to Agra, uh, at least in the old road, or you drive from Delhi to some other city, it's fraught with dangers. I recently <laughs> went on a holiday and some buffalo suddenly appeared on the middle of this national highway and we crashed into them. And we had a, a horrendous time as a result, but it was an adventure, you know. I remember that drive. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I might have died there and that would have also been uh, historic and, uh, uh, you know, memorable for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, let's, let's ask a different question. How is flow of people different from flow of goods? Is that any different? Obviously, because... we, we call it passengers flow and goods flow. Okay. And for any city planning uh, approach, we always try to see how this passengers flow and city flow could be well organized so that doesn't clash each other. But very broadly speaking, do you try to keep the goods flow as much out of the city as possible? You are right. Mm. Because I, we do not like to bring the goods flow into the city because it is, has a tremendous negative in, impact. It has a cost of external cost. Mm -hmm. Externality has to has to be pay, borne by the society. Mm. So therefore, we have also... Especially if it is just pure pass-through goods. Now, we practically... Because we, even a practically any kind of through movement mm. for, the, for the goods traffic is not desirable. Yeah. Because therefore, we try to bypass the goods routes and you must have... Uh, been aware of what the action being taken by the NGT. They do not want the goods traffic to penetrate into the cities. And now... So bypass roads, as they have come to be called in many parts of the world and yeah, in India. Yeah, are, they, are they a big innovation? When when did they first come to be? No, because bypass road, because there are many vehicles who do not have a, any business onto the city. Why do they come? Yeah. If they if you invite them to come, that means causing pollution and congestion. Yeah. That is the reason the concept of bypass has come in. Yeah. Even that in Delhi now we have been very earnestly trying to build that your Western Peripheral Expressway and Eastern Peripheral Expressway. Mm. That will take care of most of the problem of the goods traffic, which is not uh, what you call destined to Delhi. Mm. But Delhi is so vast, it must be getting a lot of goods which it needs itself. So you have no, no, inevitably no, no, goods no, no, no. coming in. The, the, the question is that earlier, even today, there are many goods traffic coming from, say, Punjab, going to, say, Rajasthan, and are going to yes. Uttar Pradesh, they passing, to to, be passing, passing through the particular Delhi, which is not warranted. Yeah. That is the reason the bypass, and we have seen, as per my study says, there are more than 30% goods traffic are through traffic. 
which can be easily made through the bypassable roads. Mm. And if you can make it through the bypassable roads, a lot of problem is being solved. Mm. And now that's you, interesting. Yeah, and also the goods traffic, which is practically bound for the city, you arrange them at a particular terminals, for Sanjay Gandhi terminals, say Azad. Sure, uh, sure, uh, so sure. those places, then you uh, uh, allow the commodities to bring to the market to the small uh, goods mm-hmm. vehicle, which is less uh, what do you call harmful to the society. And are there uh, Gautam? Are there the equivalent of bypass channels in in living bodies and living organisms? Yes, there are. I mean, even in this example of of molecular motors moving stuff through microtubules, mm. you can switch roads, you can switch lanes, and move across to the side. Mm. There are places where the where you can have the transport network itself branch into mm. different parts, and it turns out that towards the edges of cells, you have a highly branched network for transport. Oh, but that's very interesting. But where the interior is kind of straight and, and sort of you know multiple lanes that move in a straight direction. So there are the equivalent of bypass roads. So there are almost. the equivalent of bypasses. There are sort of special signals that vesicles carry to say where they are targeted, and there is a hand over between one type of motor and another type of motor. There are motors that are more suited for the long range straight highways and motors that are more suited for this highly dense periphery. And how much of this decisioning, uh, Gautam, is real time in the sense that when a vesicle takes off uh, destined from A to B, is the path predestined when it takes off? So they, ca- they carry labels that specify where they should be or where they should be received. Sure. And that's it. But, but what, about the, the, MS- what about the route? I mean, do they make no, the up route, their mind the somewhere no, along the, the way is, that, The you route know, is not specified. The route is, is essentially, let's go left, essentially let's go right. the, these are sort of dumb, brainless molecules that are moving. Sure. So somehow the, the fact that they need to be received, they need to be sent, etc., etc., must be coded into them in some very clever way. But I should also mention that there is another way in which you can transport material inside the cell, which is another mm-hmm. very common way, mm-hmm. which is just diffusion. So the mm-hmm. sort of classic idea of diffusion is is the idea of the random walk or the drunkard's walk, yeah. where someone just sort of staggers from point to point, never really goes to low anywhere. Density, you mean it in that so it turns out that the diffusion is a good solution for small cells like mm-hmm. bacteria, mm-hmm. but a bad solution for large cells. And it's in the larger cells, for example, the cells that make up your body and my body, that this mechanism for large, for large distance transport through motors has evolved. The but the smaller, cells. simpler mm. cells, those, yeah, the eukaryotic cells. Mm. But in the smaller, simpler bacterial cells, diffusion is almost always the answer. It's a fast way of getting from one point to the other. And diffusion is completely blind. There are no addresses. It just sort of wanders around and wanders around. And you know, given enough time, it'll get anywhere. It's more region-based. It goes from one region to another. It actually explores all over the place. It's mm. just like, a, like a, a drunken man sort of staggering from point to point. Given enough time, that man will explore all of this, the whole region that it needed. Provided that region is small, this is an efficient way of getting somewhere. Once that region becomes large, this is an inefficient way of doing it. And then you need this whole machinery of molecular motor-driven transport. So are drugs also uh, transported this way, in this uh, diffused you way? when you take medicines? When you take medicines? Is so those would largely be diffusive because those are small molecules yeah. that the cell surface receives and then they're internalized and then they sort of diffuse inside the cell to do whatever it is that they're required to do. Some of them, in fact, stay at the surface of the cell and destroy bacteria by making little holes in, in their cell wall. But some of them are destined for the inside of the cell. So they move really by diffusion. I think there's, sorry, can I interrupt yeah, this? Please. I think on goods and people, I think one important uh, observation that has been made is that, you know, there are two different kinds of things, if you like. People are self-motivating, they make choices, they do things. And they're imperfect. They interfere, they're imperfect. Yeah. Goods, I have in the sense, are things that are moved rather yeah. than things that Moving. move themselves. Yeah. And actually, the ideal transport system would be one in which everything was of the same order. That is, everything was moved according to a rational system. Think of the airport. Yeah. I mean, which we've just all come out of. Yeah. Now, airports are places where human beings are turned into goods. Yeah. Uh, uh, you are <laughs> shipped from one place to another and you don't question it. You know, the security guy tells you to take your shoes off. You do it. Uh, somebody else tells you, uh, you know, put your camera here, your wallet, everything, things that you wouldn't uh, part with. You let go of <laughs> and uh, you raise your hands when you're told. You put them down when you're told. You get into the plane, you sit down. Ideally this would, could be dispensed if you could be turned into a, you know, a comatose body or something. Yes. But here, you're, at least you contribute. You walk all the way. They don't have to ship you. Like you a, do a, some of your, you, mo- your own moving yourself. Your own moving yourself. Yeah. But you're completely directed. That's now, very interesting. Now, if cities could run like that, traffic systems, and they will perhaps in the future when you have driverless cars, you there won't have... You have a driverless car. You won't you have people speeding, 
you won't have young chaps who suddenly get control over wheels and yeah. you know it's an expression of something else yeah. uh, than simply the desire to get from place A to place B. Yeah. And I think the ideal uh, traffic system in w- one in which in human individuality will be completely uh, taken away. And whether this is a good thing or a bad thing uh, remains to be seen. But so far as efficiency and the city is concerned, this has to be the solution for the future. Private ownership of cars, large cars, small cars, multiple cars actually has to go. <laughs> it's it's very refreshing or interesting or paradoxical Vijay to see. I mean, you're thinking almost like an engineer. Yeah, I know because because this public space, if it has to be owned by everybody, and if everyone has an equal right to it, uh, uh, that's then, the that's the then, tendency towards equality. Yeah, and yeah. then you cannot have. Uh, some people, uh, people like myself, for instance, who can afford to buy a large vehicle, mm. uh, uh, buying a large vehicle, and say my gardener, mm. who actually cycles to work because he can't afford to even take a metro, mm. uh, that he is the least, uh, uh, has the least presence on the road, he's the most vulnerable, mm. and he expends the, uh, you know, he does no fossil fuel burning, he uses his own uh, power, and he's the most disadvantaged. Whereas, in fact, we should all be made to cycle. He's the most ethical agent. He's all the most most ethical agent and the least considered. Is is that claim correct? That the gardener is the most vulnerable, the people on the bicycles are the most vulnerable? If you actually study accident data all over the world. Not only the the person who uses bicycle. Pedestrians. Pedestrians, even an old, old lady, practically the disabled, all the comes on the vulnerable road users. So that's why for a long time, in our country, we have not been able to address this problem. Now that there has been a growing awareness, so and you must have seen in practically Western countries and European countries, this concept of vulnerability has been taken care of in the design itself, not only planning the design itself. What do you mean? In what sense? Suppose if I'm in the on the wheelchair, hmm. I don't need your support. I can yeah. I can cross the road because we have a uh, what you call a ramp, yeah. which has been designed along the curb side, along yeah. the pavement which enables me to just move from one uh, platform to the another uh, uh, lower uh, lower height platform, that is pavement side, and negotiate, I can so negotiate. So why does it not happen, uh, Professor Sarkar? When is, it, is it expensive to be to be more... No, it's not expensive. Let me tell you. Uh, I'm is, very, it, is it just a matter uh, of being I'm, I'm conscious very, of it? I'm very disappointed to say, uh, the, because Indian Road Congress, they uh, do the design guidelines and standards, and when this matter was put up, and I happened to be one of the committee members, and practically I became the chairman of the committee called the... Uh, and sure, I, I, I was given a, a task to prepare the guidelines for pedestrian facility. Mm. And you can see this IRC 103, and which practically taken care of all the elements which is needed for to design a good road. Mm. So therefore, not only have taken into account the the people for the... Do you mean the designs exist, but they're not implemented? What's they, happening? Because they... They, they're supposed to implement, but this PWD, let me tell you, they do not have a concept even there should be a sidewalk. Yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, that's true. Many Indian cities now... You see, they, whenever PWD thing, they said, if I build a carriageway, that's enough. So, the, the so, so safety... A sidewalk is just a different kind of a road for pedestrians. They, they don't give into, into the budget. Very, I'm very sorry to say. So, this is the state of affairs which is happening in the country. Now, there has been a safety fund has been created. Now, safety fund basically has ta- will take into account this kind of vulnerability. And hopefully in the near future... Safety fund, what will a fund do? Safety. Safety, safety fund, because if you see our road network, as you were rightly speaking, that we have enormous number of accidents taking place in the country. I think you may not be knowing the number. Let me tell you the number. The, for a long time, the and last year, the fatality recorded in the country in the last year, 1,42,000. And the total injured is five lakh, five hundred thousands. Yeah. And over a period of time, from nineteen ninety three onwards, eighty thousand fatality has gone up to one lakh forty two thousand. Yeah. And With, the social costs of this is it's huge. It's a social yeah. cost. Yeah. And the, the the point is, and we say action of the decade as per UN yeah. agenda. Yeah. And they said we have, we have got to reduce the accident by by fifty percent. But what is the trend? Sure. It is increasing. Sure. So therefore, now government of India recently has has uh, earmarked some ten percent of the money to be given allocated to the safety fund, which is coming from the says from the petrol and diesel. 
ఎలాంటివి Uh, should there be an accident what happens is yes, we have a trauma center but thing is that our system is not that in a, a, a in a very uh, excellent mode because if the accident happens it takes one hour to person to be hospitalized yeah on the other hand european and in japan or any other countries it hardly takes to 10 to 15 minutes that's why that's why you're talking about to bring in the intelligent transportation systems into the total planning and design how do you oh. deal with this paradox professor sarkar that invariably if the roads are good there must be more accidents right? because i would imagine is that is that statement no, correct i i like to like like to uh, uh say on your own on your own sentence if you have a good roads people tend to speed up yeah obviously when you tend to speed up there is going to be accident is that is that is that statistically correct statistically we have seen from the studies sure good roads high speed more accident because is, the problem is that the reason why you have speed limits obviously Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yes, sorry if it was that obvious. Because okay. <laughs> now we have been equally concerned now that the system because nowadays the vehicle also is being designed if you are going at a speed are you are likely to collide you will you will realize that something is going wrong and get a alarm in the vehicle itself so you'll be able to avoid that. How do you decide road speeds? Like I'll tell you how do, how you, do decide? you decide like how do you decide that 50 kilometers per hour that sounds let, too slow No 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 let me tell you Yeah because because traffic engineers they have a lot of studies carried or suppose first of all you have to understand the hierarchy of roads um, One second before we go to that Vijay are you all right with this notion of there being speed limits I think that yeah I think so but I have a take on that I mean if for instance you have certain speed limits then why is it that cars are manufactured and allowed to be sold which far exceed these speed limits yeah. i mean why yeah, should a, a car be able to run at 200 kilometers an hour uh, and i think no the question is why shouldn't one be i know what your question is 200 kilometers per hour on the road on the road well in certain roads you can in the, in the autobahn for instance in germany sure. there is no speed limit sure uh, and various countries have their own but i'm I I really feel that if there are uh, speed limits say for public vehicles mm-hmm. then why should those public vehicles be even able to cross those speed limits why can't this legislation also be part of just as you have pollution norms that is you want you, you, you want road safety but you don't want to uh, uh, take don't away really people's freedom when you let you yeah. you don't want to take away people's freedom now I feel and I think there are some uh, 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 models I think the Swedish model uh for road accident and road safety mm-hmm. uh places the responsibility of the accident not on as much on the driver, driver. or the uh, vehicle as on the system that has allowed the accident to happen system being system being your road transport system so yeah. why is it why, yeah it's it, you see if there are a large number of people being killed by drunk driving uh, drunk drivers what is the state doing about it Sure. Why don't they have more policemen there? Why don't they have breath analyzers attached to engines so that you can't actually drive a vehicle until you can prove to the vehicle that you are uh, in a condition to drive? Vijay, so, you're an you're an engineer disguised as a philosopher. Engineer disguised. <laughs> you know, I I think I think that uh, uh, you see either you've got to say that look, we don't care, and uh, uh, it's up to people, and we are going to prosecute. There's people. something deeply absurd about that, isn't it? To to yeah. have 50 kilometers per hour speed limits, but actually permit. cars with ability to go to 150 no, and, and let me tell you because as i say hierarchy yeah. of roads plays an important role in planning the urban areas sure and if you have because in urban area generally you start with expressway arterial road subarterial roads then collector roads and local roads and because of and this has different functions sure. functions in terms of the type of vehicles to be plying as well as the the what is going to be the speed limit as we am talking about in sure. case it happens to be higher order road arterial road is a function that it generally carries for a through, uh, for a for a uh, movement from 
basically through movements mm. from one point to the about you call largest point to the carrying with a higher volume of traffic mm. so therefore you can get into the speed of 60 km per hour that is the speed limit for urban areas mm. for what arterial roads when you come down little bit up to the collector roads you have a speed limit of 30 30 km per hour so and because collector road means the it collects people That's from the residential the areas practically distribute to the no but uh, i think the 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 mildly disturbing thing about this is that what about this question of skill or the notion of skill there may be drivers who may be driving very very safely at the i know but i, I think at, the issue is not so much the skill of the driver is the skill also of the other people around So you can have a very skilled driver, but that says nothing about the learner driver who's not. I, I think that we have just avoided one issue. Practically, mm. you know that the major cause of accident that eighty percent of particular users, those who are drivers, mm. they do not follow the rules. And rules. We have, yeah, traffic. So rules. we're bringing the element of rules now. Which yes, is, yes. Which traffic rules play an important role. That is the reasons we have seen most of the traffic accident taking place because of the violation of traffic rules. And how do you how do you come up with these rules? because that's how, how do i'm not saying why you allowed to sure go ahead how do you make the rules there are, because we because in a traffic engineering principles we say for example you should not cross the red light people violating the red lines so the ones who violating the red lines there may be pedestrians crossing the roads so hit the pedestrians so they, so therefore there is an accident so there are many ways that the, the the vehicle should not park there they park themselves so this is also violating rules so there is lot of restrictions have been imposed in spite of that if you do not respect the restrictions thus you are violating rules as a result of the many things that's many fine and vijay i mean clearly there needs to be some sort of a overlap or superimposition of the moral rules over the yes i think there rules, there, right? there are of course i think both moral rules and traffic rules are uh, in a sense you know traffic rules are supposed to be regulative as it doesn't matter what rules you have what does that mean they're just conventions they're conventions for instance driving on the left or driving on the right doesn't now, matter which side you drive so long as everyone drives on the same side supposedly but apparently now and perhaps professor sarkar can uh, throw some light on this uh, people claim that in india we are actually following uh, the uh, incorrect british system of driving on the left and it actually is much more rational uh, uh, to drive on the right because because well, of the way I, their I, brains I, are wired somebody explained this somebody who's driven in america and things on the and says that it makes no sense that is it's actually better to drive in this way rather than that way and it's not simply a matter no, i know that there choice. is some research on what happens when pedestrians encounter each other when you have sort of two people coming towards each other whether you step to the right or the, or left, the left is culturally determined uh-huh. in a somewhat interesting way so that we as in a sense i don't know whether we are hardwired or we are taught Which direction to move, but that may influence issues of the sort. Should we be Actually, driving on the, the right or should we be driving the, on the left? In the traffic engineering education, we say if you want to uh, move along the roads, you always face the traffic coming before That's you, right. so that you can take appropriate decision. Don't go and walk where the traffic is coming behind you. Right. That is one uh, what you call principles of traffic education. But does it matter whether it's left side driving? No, actually, as you right said, very. Uh, he also put up some, raised some issues, but I like to say, but we have been following the British systems, keep to the left, sure. and we have gone to uh, practically Europe uh, and or United States That's and fine. find the keep to the right. Uh, as such, when you just decide, the conceptually there is not much difference. Theoretically, is there? Theoretically, there is no difference as we have seen. and over a lot of debate but uh, but if somebody has a notions i do not know what reasons because you have to go from keep to the left to the from the keep to the right then you have to design the infrastructure accordingly so for for our country at this stage to design to redesign the whole things in that fashion it is a it is a time consuming as well as was expensive so and also we found there is not much basic difference between keep to the left and keep to the right and some of uh, are some of these problems deadlocks i mean are there stalemates are, are some of these problems that cannot be solved at all have have there been cities societies countries that have gone from having horrible traffic problems to actually solving them it all i think that in my view uh, it's i think that there is no are there what called impossible traffic problems because if you do not you take, know what i mean are there unsolvable traffic problems No, because if you, my, my, that's why I like to just respond to you. Yeah. There, there is a traffic problem, but you who plan it properly, and if you just still take a decision properly, it is solvable. Say, for example, for example, uh, for examples of Calcutta, 
Charles Currier, uh, even if uh, 50 years back, he used to say that the Bombay is dying, Calcutta is dead. Sure. Uh, even today, if you see the Calcutta slide, because it has been able to bring the metro and he had, they have been able to develop more transport infrastructures. Now sure. it is city still moving. Sure. So therefore still transport plan, this is the ability of a transport planner to make the city lively by virtue of making a scientific and rational plan. Can I For, just ask a question about that? I mean, I appreciate the fact that we must plan, but we're always planning with a certain number in mind. To what extent can we cope with this increase, the constant increase in numbers of vehicles? Just sheer numbers of vehicles that are... So that's why I like to give you an example. So when Singapore uh, uh, experienced the problem, the co continuous increase in number, they ultimately, and they have a limited land. So therefore come to a very noble concept called vehicle quota. That means in a, based on the vehicle, which is practically depri what you call thrown out. It's nice to use the word noble. I mean, what about people who want like a couple of more cars? No, practically because what you want, you want to want to fulfill your desire with respect to travel. If travel is met, some uh, some other better means. So for example, if you go to London, that's fair. Uh, or if I, uh, I'll prefer my mass transport. If I go to Newark, I'll prefer a mass transport rather than, because I know parking cost is, particularly central is very enormous. Mm. So therefore, I have to see the how best I reach to the place in a little less time. So that is the main create, concept. Then you create disincentives for actually owning cars. Or yeah, disincentives. So you impose a congestion charge. In, congestion charge. So we have seen London has been very successful in providing, a, in imposing congestion charge. You see Singapore, right from 1975, they have posed a congestion pricing and, has been, and now it is electrically controlled. It is very successful. And Vijay, we know by now that you're all right with all of this. Yes, uh, I think that that's one way. But you can't simply be able to pay your way out. Uh, of it. I mean, I think that there should be some, probably some absolute quotas. So what are the non-negotiables for you? But, you know, the, these are not uh, easily solvable problems because uh, think of the uh, car owners, uh, say in a house where you have five different people working in five different places. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are women, some of them are uh, work late hours. Sure. Uh, they have to get to work, they have to come back from work. And not I, all not all rich people are evil people. Yeah, not all rich people are evil people. And a lot of them spend a lot of their money just doing this, you know, yes. driving up and down. Now, unless you provide a viable and safe alternative, mm. and I think maybe, you know, the if you had a safe taxi system, mm. uh, it has to be financially and economically attractive. Mm. Otherwise, uh, uh, it won't work. Mm. So good economics and good ethics, as they say, uh, mm. should go together. Mm. And it should also be efficient. So mm. you can't expect somebody to, you know, save the planet by traveling uh, uh, by bus uh, and for two hours every day, standing up uh, at the end of a long day. Uh, and if it's a woman being pawed by uh, uh, fellow commuters and so on and so forth, when she can perfectly well uh, drive in her own car and so on and so forth. Let me ask you a different question, Vijay. Why, why is it so difficult to wear a helmet? Ah, like it's 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 pretty obvious that it kind of yeah it's, it's like it's the seat, a good idea it's like too. the seat belt uh, i think uh, uh, i think do more people wear seat belts than helmets probably two wheelers and particularly women often the most vulnerable the person sitting at the back or the kids standing in front of a scooter or sitting in front of a motorcycle uh, are invariably unprotected why uh, first they don't that? make helmets for children for some reason and there <laughs> seems to be no uh, law against uh, wearing that uh, i think it's that's absurd isn't i think it? it's yeah. just the that old uh, yudhishthira story in the mahabharat you know mm. when he was asked what was the strangest thing of all by this yaksha mm. and he says to the yaksha that although he sees his brothers lying dead uh, he cannot conceive of his own death and so I think that the very fact that people, why do people smoke? Uh, uh, why do people so one do is all not these things? Truly aware of one's you, own people possibility of one's own possibility. Death. And I think here the individual is not to be blamed. It's not a question of well, you know, you ought to know better. And when you have an accident, it's probably going to be your first and last one. Uh, I think that it's uh, incumbent upon the uh, is state and authorities. Is there weakness all of those things? At yes, work I, here? I think it's what is called acrasia in. When you in want the, to wear it, but you can't. You, you know that it's good for you. But you, you work know that it's good own. for you. But on occasion, uh, you don't wear it. It's too hot. It's too uncomfortable. Uh, uh, it weighs too much. And at that moment, you're living. You're not uh, about to have an accident. And I won't have an accident right now. Uh, how could you possibly know that? 
and in fact you might go through your entire life wearing a helmet and never have an accident and say see uh, you know what a waste this works uh, is fine uh, on the other hand uh, uh, i mean i have had this actual experience of uh, i was driving a motorcycle with the helmet on my uh, lap and the my pillion rider put it on my head saying why don't you put on your helmet mm. uh, and he put it on my head sure and i strapped it on uh, saying as he reported to me later Uh, that yes at least if i have an accident i won't die 30 seconds later i had you an had accident, an accident. <laughs> <laughs> and i was unconscious for 17 hours really yes and my helmet saved me so that so, that 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 triggered your interest in traffic yeah well also it helmets you know i would offer to tell people that you know please wear a helmet but also i've seen what you said uh, if you go to the uh, what you call interior area you will find most of the drivers didn't wear helmet i uh, seat belt yeah and they said i said why are you not wearing your seat belts there's zarurat nahi hai they said they are comfortable without uh, what you call seat belt does it have to do with risk aversion risk because they they because they yeah, are the so, estimation of risk is different they happening? do not estimate the risk that is the problem mm. they are to some extent illiterate and they have got the driving license is it as simple as that i can tell you you can get a driving license just pay 2000 bucks uh, somebody will give you the driving license that is a problem i can tell you one examples in canada when i was in canada for some time i there is a news flash that there is a some lady was very delightful what is a cause for delight she got the driving license after 23rd attempt right so they, she understand the value of a driving license until this culture comes to our mind I do not now. If nowadays, what do you call? So, processor car, you reduce traffic to a total state subject, and and you have Vijay beside you. <laughs> what's what's the equivalent of state for the for a body for a living organism? Is there some some centralized traffic controller? No, it's sort of molecules being made and doing their own thing and sort of self-organizing in interesting ways. But sort of to come back to this helmet yeah. question, I think yeah. a lot of it is also social messaging. I mean, remember the campaigns against tobacco from the fifties and the sixties, and mm. large fractions of the population was was smoking, and mm. it took a you know in the in the face of absolutely determined opposition from the tobacco companies, there was a real tectonic shift in the nature of which you know tobacco smoking became an uncool thing to do, a bad thing to do. You had to worry about your children. It's not cool we to mean, wear a helmet today. It's not cool. to wear a helmet today but we should make it cool i think we don't realize how these things yeah. these messages will really infiltrate our brains and minds of our population over a 10 or 20 years it's also a design period. problem somebody has to design it's also a design helmets. problem maybe cooler, someone will come up with a with a light lightweight easy to put on easy to put on inexpensive inexpensive i think our government should take a strong step towards strong enforcement That's if we right. do not make a strong enforcement if it is not punishable people do not really fear they do not fear in their mind So that is the reasons we have been allowing people to die on the roads. So why don't we last question and we are more or less done. Is there a possibility that in the super long run, let's say the next 500 years, 1000 years, assuming the world gets more affluent and there are more cars, assuming that's a signal of affluence and that continues to be a more or less common desire, is it likely that there would be a more or less permanent traffic jam? No, I feel particularly that we are going towards sustainable transport systems. and it is coming to everybody's mind without sustainability we human being cannot survive so when this comes in our heart obviously we will not think of buying more and more cars we'll think that how best we can develop a systems which will ensure mobility for all you th- you think that's likely vijay yeah i think so i i think that uh, uh, increasingly you know our the, workspaces the, the premium or the cool factor our workspaces also will be designed in a way in which the reasons to move you see we're constantly moving you That's know uh, not yeah. just goods but ourselves in order to do something in another location then we come back half the city just moves to work and back and if that didn't happen or it got staggered in interesting ways or it was possible for people to live closer to work uh, or they worked out of workstations they worked out of homes uh, which is happening because of the digital uh, revolution uh, and with increased public transport last mile connectivity battery operated alternative energies uh, you will find and maybe also slow vehicles 
you will find that uh, slower vehicles slower vehicles i i really think that the solution to the traffic problem is not to get people fa- moving faster but to get them moving you know like these molecules at a steady at a, at at a, a steady mean speed, mean which, speed is, which is coordinated with other people's mean speeds in in a traffic which is getting more and more heterogeneous no i think the what is it have to to a great extent correct if it is a low, in a neighborhood mm. a slow traffic is desirable mm-hmm. but if you want them to bring it to the higher level and the, on the systems or arterial road or expressway you need higher mobility so in in multimodal traffic is it better if the traffic of the different modes are as close to each other as possible obviously obviously, dep- obviously mm. depending on the need of the society you have to bring the multimodal systems and which, which is most important part is integration without integration it will be a chaos so we well, have to be very judicial so is it is it a good idea to have bicycles that move faster so that their speed tend towards the speeds of cars You see, this is, again, there is going to be a problem, because because I I told you that we have to design the transport system based on the need and based on the society. Even if it happens to be a neighborhood scale, bicyclists always will be given freedom to move in their own style. But bicycle, when you you should not bring the bicycle on the arterial roads. And if you have to bring the arterial roads, you have to give them a proper cycle track and well-designed intersections. Sure, sure, sure. So that kind of things need to be followed. Gautam, last word to you. What What does the future no, look like I, to you? I agree with both. I think um, I'm a great votary of public transport, mm. and I think there's nothing like joy of going to a city that is planned well enough that anyone can use public transport at any time. It's safe. It's clean. It's affordable, and I think that's. if you to go back to the singapore example i think that that's really what the singapore example demonstrates that whether you're a ceo or someone working in a, in a small little shop in a in a in a in a supermarket in singapore you both can take the same type of public transport we don't have the segregation the rich people taking taking their expensive cars and the poor people taking trans- you know, public transport you know as i say the sign of equality is not that the poor guy drives a mercedes exactly the fact that the richest guy uses a public transport so that's yeah. where again i see the role of of governments and public intervention at this i think we should bias things so that you know, we favor the the good of the larger number good of the greatest number and i would imagine that a public transport kind of solution must be also the most cost effective must be the most economical because you you wanted that to be cost effective with. economical sustainable and this is only the what you call probable and most uh, important solution for the next uh, future years to come thank you thank you great to have all of you and we look forward to having you soon again thank you for thank making you. it appreciate thanks it. thanks yeah.